0: But uh, again, we're glad that you're here, and this is the conclusion of our current sermon series, Christ, Community, and Culture. And it's been a long one, dealing with numerous things, and a few things that are important to to pull out from this series. And what I've learned over the years is that uh, winning souls and gaining decisions for Jesus has a lot more to do with us than it does with changing other people. Uh, some some transformation takes place when we become Christians and sometimes we forget what the process is like for someone to grow and to accept faith and to be a new person in Jesus and uh, we just need to reset and think about those things from time to time and our sermon series has allowed us to do that. Uh, we talked about the power of being together with people. That's where we started. Christian ministry is not just about Preaching and teaching—it's about the ministry of community and presence, and there's power in it. And we want to be a church uh, in community with one another and with our friends and neighbors. And that's why you heard Pastor Jaime talking to us about small groups. And uh, I, you know, I even don't like that word "small groups" because it comes with some uh, stigma attached to it. Everybody has an idea of what a small group has to look like, but it doesn't have to look like what we're most familiar with. It can be, as he was saying, around things that we love to do together. Sports, activities, hiking, nature, fishing, quilting, any number of interests that we have that we can even do outside, but doing it together in in such a lonely time. There's so much power in it. Doing it with our church family and others. Uh, growing in community with each other. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of believers that we want to be. And we also talked about in our second message how to avoid common pitfalls that we make when we're trying to relate to each other. Things that we say that can be offensive that we didn't even think could be offensive. talked about having positive attitudes and getting uh, critical words and feelings out of our minds and hearts and how to be a positive church and a positive follower of Jesus. We talked about how important biblical hospitality is. How important that first 10 minutes is when someone first steps foot in our church. How they need to be greeted warmly as if they're coming home. Amen? How to, be, how to feel like this is the place that they belong and gaining that sense of belonging. And then last week we talked about evangelism and we talked about the three angels' messages and how easy it is to get sucked into the confusion that's all around us. Is there much confusion right now? Oh, and if you haven't noticed, this confusion is dividing us. It's splitting us up. And uh, we just said that the power of Christians is the community, right? And we talked a little bit about politics, or a lot of bit about politics, and our need to separate ourselves, get our heads up above that stuff so that we don't fall into the pit of getting intoxicated with it and creating divisions and arguments and fighting and missing the point of why we're here on this earth, amen? And so that's our goal. And we have to pay attention, close attention. Students of the Bible have to pay close attention. We've been talking about what it will be like before Jesus comes and takes us home. We've talked for a long time about all the confusion there will be and all the mixed messages and how hard it will be. And when it's easy to talk about it when it's in the future. But when it's here and now, we can't let ourselves... Get mixed up in it. Amen? We have to rise above it because we know what's coming. God has told us what's coming. And so this week we want to put the whole thing together. We want to put the whole series together and we're going to answer the question is, what is a disciple of Jesus? What does the the term mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And, And once we discover what a disciple is, then we can ask ourselves the question, okay. Well, how do we make more disciples of Jesus? Because we know that's the passion and the joy of Christians, right? It has been since the church began. The joy of Christianity isn't just having a relationship with God, but seeing other people start a relationship with God and us having uh, involvement in that journey, amen? That's the joy of Christianity. And uh, many books have been written about what a disciple is what discipleship is. There have been curriculums written. There have been Bible studies over the years. Everybody seems to have an opinion on discipleship. And so I have, yes, my own to add to the mix. And as you know, what I like to do is I like to take uh, broad concepts or difficult concepts and boil it down to something simple and tangible. And Of all the complicated explanations of discipleship, here's mine. And as we go through, I think this will make a little more sense to you where I'm coming from on this. A true disciple of Jesus is someone who lives in the balance between giving and receiving. Between giving and receiving. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows how to live in the balance between giving and receiving. That will come clear as we, as we go through. Uh, but Does anybody know what the word disciple actually means? It means a follower. It means follower. And so the Bible, some people don't know this, but the Bible actually uses the term disciple in some places for anybody that ever followed Jesus around. And so many times when we think of the disciples, we think of the 12 disciples as if those were the only ones that were following Jesus around. But if you, if you read various Bible stories, you find that there were large numbers of disciples sometimes. And in those uh, listings or in those stories, we find that some Pharisees were disciples of Jesus. Sadducees, religious teachers, Romans, many different people from many different backgrounds were called disciples. Now, does that necessarily mean that they fit the definition of often what we would call a disciple? What do you think? No, because usually when we think of a disciple, we think of somebody that's all in, right? Right? All in for the cause. All in for the message. All in. That's what we think of when we think of disciple. But a disciple, according to biblical terms, is someone that followed Jesus around at any point. So even the skeptics and the enemies, sometimes in scripture, when they are following Jesus around, could be called a disciple. You all seem a little sleepy this morning. Are you okay? All right. Don't be sleepy on me. So I am very bummed out today because the children's video was so good for this week. It was so amazingly good that I was just going to connect the sermon right to it. And uh, it was going to be so, so good. But So now I have to try and paint the picture that the video was going to do. And the picture that I want to start with comes in Matthew chapter 13. And it's a fairly famous parable that Jesus is going to share with us. And that's the, it's the parable of the sower. Have you heard this parable before? Some of you have, some of you haven't. If you haven't, that's okay. We're going to give you a little update. Uh, but the parable of the sower, what is this parable? So in, in chapter 13 of Matthew, uh, Jesus says this. I'm in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. It's interesting, sometimes Jesus creates natural distance between him and the crowd, and I think that might be because if people packed in too close, they might get COVID. No, not that. (laughs) Not that. I think it's because if there wasn't distance between Jesus and the crowd, nobody would be able to hear him. If people packed in too tightly, his voice would get soaked up into the into the close proximity of the people so he needed to create a little distance so he stands in a boat here and verse 3 says and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path you don't know what a sower is Uh, think of it as a planter a farmer who is out there planting seeds all right a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them other seeds fell on rocky ground ...where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And uh, the next section of of this chapter... Jesus goes into telling why he speaks so much in parables. Why he speaks so much in parables. And he talks about various things. But One of the things is, for people whose hearts are open, these stories make sense. That's what he says. For people who are really paying attention and really desire to know, they they make sense. For people that aren't looking to understand, they're confusing, he says. And uh, this was uh, very much an agricultural society. There was a lot of raising of animals. There was a lot of planting and sowing and reaping. And so often Jesus uses those uh, terms in order to tell his stories, to, to, to make a point. Just like I use COVID as an illustration, because <laughs> that's what we're living through. Jesus would use agricultural and uh, raising animals as illustrations for spiritual points. So if we skip that section, we go over to verse uh, 18, we hear an explanation. I love it when Jesus gives explanations for his parables because it makes it that much easier to understand. So verse 18 says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. That This is what was sown along the path. Now let me ask you this question. In verse 19, the person that we just read about is this a disciple? Is this a disciple? Yes, this person is a disciple. Why? According to the broad definition of the term, anyone who follows Jesus around or anyone who hears the message can be dis- uh, determined or described as a disciple. But let me ask you this question. Why doesn't it last with this person? I heard something. I didn't hear what you said, though. Why doesn't it last? Because the person didn't receive it into their heart and believe it. Right? The person didn't receive it into their heart and believe it. So, uh, Really, what we can understand, and we find this out from other places in Scripture, is that everyone at some point in their lives is considered a disciple. There will be no one at the end of time, when we stand before the Lord, there will be no one that's able to say, I didn't know. No one ever told me. So you might be thinking, well, what's our role then? why witness if, if the Lord can save people uh, without me why do I exist why do we have the Bible why do we have church and here's the answer because when we witness we make it much easier for people to believe you following that yes or no those of us that have lived through it if we can explain it it's easier to receive into our hearts amen if what's the big if if they take it into their hearts but on us it's if we're a good witness (laughs) so it's important that we are good disciples and we receive it deeply amen and so uh this is this this person is a short-lived disciple because they didn't receive it into their hearts and take it in now let's read about the next type of person verse 20 it says um as for what was sown on rocky ground This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So let me ask you this question. Was or is this person, could it be considered a disciple? Yes, because this person heard the word followed Jesus for a time, and it's a little bit longer time than the first person. Now, uh, what's the difference with this person? Why doesn't this person maintain that discipleship with Jesus? Why Why don't they go through with it? Why doesn't it last? Bad times, persecution, troubles, right? And the key is that they did not allow the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go deep into their hearts. It was surface knowledge. It was surface level stuff. And now I'm not necessarily, some people hear that and they go, oh, I'm doomed because I'm not a very intelligent person. I'm not a deep person, right? Uh, what am I going to do? I, I don't think deeply. Does that mean that I, I'm going to not last when persecution arises? That's not what we're talking about at all. You don't have to be a a philosopher or a great theologian in order to be a deep disciple of Jesus Christ. It just means that we have to allow that gospel, that love, that goodness, that character of God that we see through Jesus to settle down deep within our bones. Amen? And of course, we're on a journey to learn more all the time. And the more we learn and the more we take in, the deeper those roots go. But we've seen this, and maybe you've seen this in your own life, and that's why it's so important that we identify some of these challenges in our world, because these rocks that choke out God's love can come in forms that we don't under, that we didn't expect. Do you see the that politics right now is choking out God's love from our lives? Can be, can it? The way we're talking about each other, the condemnation. The, you know, this side is stupid. I can't believe you stupid idiots on this side or that side. You hear that kind of thing. And and the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we're allowing political things to give us that spirit in our hearts, we're allowing the gospel to be choked out. So this rockiness doesn't just have to come through persecution or trials and those are hard enough to get through aren't they when when tough times come the first one of the first things we do is we start to blame god don't we <laughs> that's one of the very first things we do we blame god god how could you let this happen to me this is all your fault and if we'd stop and think we realize it's not god's fault sometimes it's ours and sometimes it's the enemy. And so we have to watch out for this rockiness that can choke out the gospel and and make our discipleship short-lived. And here's the other part of this too. Those of us that have learned these lessons, do you see how important it is for us to help other people on their journey with the Lord? Because if we've learned the lessons how to navigate the rocky soil, we need to be able to mentor and help other people who are going to experience rocky soil in their lives too. Amen? It is so important that that wisdom be shared with other people or we're we're watching them be choked out by the trials and deceptions of this life and doing nothing about it. Verse 22, And as for the one that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. So this person is a disciple, but it doesn't last for other reasons. And it's not for trials and tribulations and deceptions on one hand. It's more out of the pleasures of life. Have you seen that? Now you might be thinking, pleasures of life. Well, I have no danger of that, Pastor, because, you know, I don't have any money. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't live the good life. Don't worry about me. It can't. It's not just money, though. Because how many times have you seen marrying the wrong person be the thorns that choke out the gospel in somebody's life? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Now you might be thinking, well, how does this apply? Well, think about it. What does it feel like when you're meeting the wrong person? You don't think it's the wrong person, do you? are you are is filled with love and joy and happiness and all these feelings of, Of excitement and 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 that you know that that spark and the sweaty palms and the the joy and sometimes we get so wrapped up in those blessings because they are here's the thing those feelings are blessings from God because it's all part of the 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 falling in love process it's a wonderful thing but the problem is we often allow that to supersede our thinking in our brain See, those things, we have the ability to feel those things because God ordained it. He wanted us to feel those things when it comes to love and sexuality. He he is overjoyed with those feelings. The problem is, if it comes at the wrong time in our lives, teenagers, here's what I always tell my kids. You can find people attractive. You can have good friends, you can even like people. But the thing is, stop thinking about being in relationships. The purpose of being in a relationship is to decide whether you're gonna marry that person. Aren't we together? So if you're in a time in your life where you are not even close to being married, why are you thinking about being in a relationship? Now, we can't deny those feelings. We can't deny that we're attracted to people or act as if it's shameful. We can't deny those feelings of excitement when somebody's around, but that's where we have to allow our brains and our our maturity and our walk with the Lord to take over. Are you with me? Now, let me ask you this question. How many people have you seen? I don't want an answer from this. How many people have you seen that take those initial feelings that God loves for us They've misapplied them and allowed them to become so powerful that they choke out the gospel in in someone's life. Sooner or later, their walk with the Lord lessens. They marry the wrong person because of it. See, discipleship is about give and take. Sometimes we receive, receiving those good feelings. But sometimes we have to give, and we have to think, and we have to work on behalf of those wonderful feelings that we've been given by the Lord and make good decisions as good disciples of Jesus. And marriage and sexuality, that's just one example. Happiness, joy, blessings, they flow, and the Lord wants us to enjoy those things. It's just that when we get so wrapped up in those feelings that we forget our following Jesus that's when they become thorns that choke out the gospel. Are you with me? It's so tempting. It happens so easily. And so let's go to verse 23 now. And as for who was sown on good, what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another 30. So here's the thing. This is the person that's avoided the rocks. Okay? This is the person that's avoided the thorns, navigated through them. Are you with me? And then this person becomes the one who says, ah, I went through that. I avoided it, and here's why, and here's how I did it. Or, I I, I went through that, and it pricked me a little bit and led me astray for a little while, but I didn't let it... The Lord brought me back, amen? This is the person that's been through the battles with Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. And what he says is, this is the person who becomes the disciple that makes more disciples. Are you with me, yes or no? This is the person that makes more disciples. So this is the person that won't let anything else choke out that relationship with Jesus, fights the battles has the wounds, gets the scars, but maintains that relationship with the Lord, or the Lord maintains it with them, and they just receive it. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But this is the person that goes through the battles with the Lord, and this is the person that becomes the disciple maker now and allows that seed to flourish in other people. You see, mentorship and soul winning is a part of discipleship you understand that yes or no it's so important the person who has allowed that gospel to go deep you, it goes deep because you have seen how God has either uh worked in your life to help you avoid the rocks and thorns, or when you push through them and you got cuts and bumps and bruises, you've recognized that he's been pulling you through them, picking you up and dusting you off, and you've gotten through them. Are you with me? And you become the person who says, oh yeah, I went through that, but let me tell you something. Here's what God did in my life. We are to help those that are in these other states of discipleship so that the seed can grow deeper amen it's our job and here's the key as i understand it here's the key how do we become that person that the seed of the gospel goes so deeply in that the rocks can't choke it out and the thorns can't scar us up so much that it dies off how do we get through it It, we become the person that lets the love of Jesus, the character of God, our relationship with Him, go so deeply in us, this is what we've learned. That the, the life of a disciple is 100% receiving and 100% giving. How can something be 100% and 100%? This is the amazing sort of paradox that we have as Christians. Because the gospel, and we're going to talk about this here in just a second more, but the gospel is about only receiving. Amen? It's about only receiving. It's about receiving the salvation that God has won that we could not have won for ourselves. Faith is what... Faith isn't even what saves us. Jesus saves us and then works in our lives to give us the faith that allows us to receive that salvation. Amen? So, the Christian walk, the seed is sown totally by receiving. But as the seed goes deeper into our lives, you recognize that in order for that seed to continue to flourish... It also becomes about totally giving and being totally selfless. And so you can't have one without the other. It doesn't exist in a true, deep disciple of Jesus. Let me give you a biblical example. Uh, This is a a story that, that I love. Go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Luke 10 38. This is the famous story of Martha and Mary. And uh, Jesus goes to visit them in their home. Something interesting happens. Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, this is Jesus and his 12 disciples. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so here we have these two ladies, and Jesus, the Messiah, is coming through town. He says, I'm going to come over to your house for lunch. And what is Martha busy doing? Cleaning the house, getting food ready, washing the dishes because the sink's full, you know what I mean? And, and in those days especially, it was on the woman to make sure that that was all prepared and ready. When guests came to your house, it was also up to the man and the woman, but especially the woman, to make sure everything was just right. And apparently, according to Martha, everything was not just right. It was far from it. And so Martha is doing the flight of the bumblebee around the house, you know, opening up that one closet and throwing all the junk in and slamming it before it pops back open. You know, we do those things when somebody's coming over. And uh, Mary is there sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and listening to Jesus. And this is such a striking story for me because is Martha doing something that's inappropriate? No, I mean, it's what's expected, isn't it? It's what's expected. But Jesus says, Mary, he uses a, an interesting phrase. Mary has chosen the good portion. So in other words, there's, there's different portions to this meal. Or there's different portions. There's different sections of this. And it's not that the sections are wrong. It's, it's, it's the timing. Did you catch that? It's the timing. And it struck me that this story is a perfect example that being a disciple is being able to recognize when to give and when to receive. You following me there, yes or no? It's not that what Martha was doing was wrong, it's just that she didn't have the timing right. There may have come a time to jump up and get the house in order. But it wasn't that time. It was the time for her to sit and listen to Jesus. Now, are there some of us who forget to receive because we're too busy giving? And sometimes it comes from a selfless heart because you want everything to be just right, and sometimes it comes from a selfish heart. What do I mean by that? If I do things just right, then God will love me. It's called the legal aspect, legalism. If I behave just right, if I perform just right, if I eat the right things, say the right things, listen to the right music, if I do all this, then God might pay attention to me, he might love me, and he might save me. It's based on works, right? Are works a bad thing, though? They are not. It's just that we have to know the timing. We have to know the timing and the motivation for which it's being done. Are there others who are only receivers? Are there some who say, this is all about just being me and Jesus loving me the way that I am and I can just be don't get me wrong, don't get caught up in the language of what I just use here, but here's the thing about this. There are some that never jump up to be Martha. Men and women. This is not just about women. There are some that never give. They only receive. And both are pitfalls, aren't they? Both are pitfalls. The, the balance of a good disciple is working with the Lord, knowing ourselves, and knowing when action is needed in order to learn what we need to learn in order to receive the gospel deeper into our hearts. You see, the the gospel of Jesus Christ goes deeper through experience and action. And it's not because we're earning it, not at all. It's because we are real physical human beings, are you with me? And our belief is attached to our actions. And then on the other hand, we can be so wrapped up in our actions and what we do and how we live that we forget that the gospel is also 100% receiving God's blessing. I hope you're seeing a little of yourself one way or the other, or maybe both sometimes. A deep, lasting discipleship is being able to know when it's time to sit back and receive like Martha. And being a deep, lasting disciple is also about knowing when to jump up and serve like Martha. Are you with me? This was the time where Martha should have just been blessed and received. And it's in our human nature, isn't it? It's our human nature to think that serve, 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 serve and never be blessed. We have to be sometimes. Mary chose the good portion at the time. I want to remind you of this passage and it comes in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 um, Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 4. Ephesians 2 4 but God I love that but God there's a transition in thought here but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses It's the gift of God. So in other words, the faith that saves you, God gave you. I love this idea. Some people walk around, they say things like this. When I found the Lord. No. Incorrect. You didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. You weren't out there searching. No, you didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. You just finally went, oh you've been here all along that's the experience you didn't find the Lord you just opened your eyes and there he was and you realized he's been there all along verse 9 not as a result of works, so that no one may boast this is really interesting even our receiving is not an action In human thinking, we we receive something. So in other words, you know, on Christmas morning, we run to the Christmas tree and go and get the gift and open it, right? We don't even do that with the Lord. It's not like Jesus is saying, okay, here's a gift. Now come to me and take it, and it'll be yours. That's not the way it works with salvation. With salvation, the Lord has already put that in our laps and said, there it is, that's yours. Now, do you know where the decision comes in? You can choose to push it off your lap and say no thank you and this is what we see in the parable of the sower the whole world gets the seed sown on them some people let the gift sit there for a while or some people push it off right away some people let the gift sit there for a while and other people open it up and play with it are you with me I want to be a person who plays with that gift for the rest of my life amen but the, the the give and take is this, and this is what we're going to read from James here in just a second. You open the gift from the Lord, and you don't just sit there and admire it. Wow, this is great. He gives you a gift that's useful. It's a gift that changes you and your heart, and it's a gift that says, hey, guess what? I can do something with this. I can make a difference with this. And so... The 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 part where with the thorns where the blessings choke out the the discipleship is just sitting there with the gift and not realizing that it's it's there to change you and it's there to make a difference for others. Amen. And so with the Lord, we don't receive, we we don't do anything even to receive it. We just recognize that we've been given an amazing and incredible beyond belief gift from the Lord when Jesus hung on the cross, died, and rose again. We open that gift and we're in awe. We can't believe it. We're, we're just thrilled with the love that God has shown us. Amen? Have you had that experience? I hope so. And then you look at that gift and it, it, the more you admire it and the more you see it, the more it changes your heart. And then something begins to happen. The Lord says, let's go do something about this. Let's go experience this in real time and in real life. Amen? Let's go experience this in real time, in real life. And what you realize is that when you're Martha at the right time, those experiences allow that gift to go deeper within you. But you know something? Do you know what the biggest work that we have as humans receiving the gospel, do you know what it is? You know what the hardest trial, the most work that we have to put in is? I heard something what was it accepting it yeah yeah you're on the right track the hardest work that we do is realizing that the gifts already in our lap there is nothing you do to get it Oh, surely Lord that you know I must have to clean myself up and look nice before I can have it right no the gift of salvation has been given to all men Now, we have a choice to say, no, I don't want that. You know what the Lord does, though? He's putting it back on our lap. We push it off our lap, the Lord comes over and He picks it up, puts it back there. And People go, no, I don't want that. So, no, this is yours. And then one day, you know, our lives end or the Lord comes and hopefully that gift is still on our laps. Amen? But, Then we transition to the words of James, and he says, you think you're saved only by your works, but I'll show you that I'm saved by my works. Faith without works is dead. That's what James says. And it seems to be an utter contradiction for what we've just read in Ephesians. What are you talking about, James? You know that Martin Luther, who was one of the reformers that really found uh, righteousness by faith, he wanted to throw out the book of James. Did you know that? He hated the book of James because he couldn't make heads nor tails of it. He, He couldn't match it up to Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. And so he's like, I have no time for this. I don't understand it. But here's the thing. A true disciple recognizes that it's not just about being Mary. It's also receiving what Mary received and allowing it to translate to Martha at the right time. Let's think about this. Let's put this in real practical terms. When we realize the wonderful gift that we've been given, and that gospel settles into our hearts, what begins to happen? The Lord lives there, doesn't he? The Lord lives there. Now, do you know what the big battle is? The battle is receiving the fact that the Lord lives there. And there's an interesting phrase that... um, that scripture uses, says, deny self, take up your cross and follow me. And really what people think is that they think that denying self is a work. They think that denying self is what earns them salvation. No, not at all. Denying self is simply saying, you know what, I got this, and it's not because of me. But you know what denying self means? It also means living as a sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Sacrifice. In other words, we feel what the Lord is doing in our lives and in our hearts, and then he puts something in front of us and says, I need to do this work in you. Are we willing to say, do it, Lord? Or do we say, eh, it's uncomfortable, I kind of like that thing. Or, that thing is uncomfortable, I don't want to do that. The Lord's saying, hey, this is the next step for us. This is the next step of where we need to go so this this, this plant can be deeper rooted and this relationship can, can grow and be deeper. And the Lord puts this thing in front of us and we say, nah, that, that makes me uncomfortable. The Lord says, deny self. Live as a living sacrifice. Winning souls doesn't come naturally to us, friends, does it? Being selfless does not come naturally to us, does it? And we can't be selfless on our own, right? We can't be, because we are by nature selfish. But we see what Jesus has done for us. We receive him. He settles into our hearts, settles into our lives, and then he begins to work out through us. Amen? So really what we need to understand, and this is a really confusing concept because it's supernatural, but think about this. Christian receiving sometimes, is Christian action. Did you catch that? Christian receiving sometimes, or often, is Christian action. Why is that? Because as we get to know Jesus Christ, and as we, we, He settles into our hearts and our minds, it translates into action. Amen? Amen? So sometimes acting doesn't take effort. It takes surrender. You with me there? And that's when you know the, the gospel starting to go deep. When you feel the Lord drawing you to something, when you know you're convicted of something, when you know the Lord is doing something, and your flesh says, Nah, I don't really like that, and you say, I surrender, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And so really, when the gospel goes deep and we become deep disciples of Jesus, works and faith flip. They flip. Before we knew Jesus, we thought we had to do something in order to earn something from God. Are you with me? That was before Jesus and so we thought it was action that allowed us to receive you following me there but when you when the gospel goes deep within us what we realize is that allowing God to do his work translates into action so receiving the gospel receiving the indwelling of our Lord and Savior into our hearts and into our lives receiving becomes giving Our human mind says, give in order to receive. The gospel mind says, receive in order to give. Isn't that amazing? And so really what we have to recognize is that when the Lord has a task for us or when we see someone in need or somebody needs to be mentored and the Lord pushes us in that direction, That's part of receiving His Spirit and His life more and more and more. Amen? It's when we stop receiving that conviction, when we stop receiving that growth, that's when we're in trouble. We need to receive the presence of the Lord so fully that it results in him working through us amen and it works opposite from the way we think according to this world but and this is why we need to be so aware of the lessons that god has taught us through this journey we need to be paying attention we need to keep track of it do you know why because it doesn't make sense to us humans it doesn't make sense we're fallen human beings and we struggle and And this journey uh, with the Lord, is just, it's hard. And so we need to keep track of this so that when we see other people trying to navigate this journey called discipleship, we can draw alongside them and say, let me help you. Let me share with you what I've learned, amen? And there comes presence again. There comes relationship again. You see, the person who has learned these lessons and has grown this way, and the gospel has gone deep in them, becomes a person who makes and makes stronger other disciples. You with me? Sometimes even that is hard, because we're human and we just want to pay attention to us. But yet we say, Lord, I receive you more into my life. I surrender more. Make me want to do that. Make me able to do that. And then receiving becomes giving. So, as we close this sermon series, let's just uh, refresh our minds with some key ideas. Because discipleship is a growing, ever-growing, deeper process, we need to understand the balance between giving and receiving. Amen? And how important both are to our growth. Keeping track of those lessons. And so since we are learning those lessons as we go through life and as we allow the, the, the gospel to go deeper into our hearts and minds, We need to be the kind of person that people can trust and look forward to drawing alongside of us to hear the lessons that we've learned. Amen? We need to be a positive presence in people's lives. And that might be an area of growth that we all need. We might need the Lord to change us. We might need to receive him deeper so that we can get the criticism, we can get the negativity, we can get the the division, all the yucky stuff out of us, so that people see us as a positive presence. Amen? You ever come across a person where you see him coming, you're like, all I get is negativity? Let that never be said of us. A positive, warm influence for people. We need to avoid being Job's friends. We talked about that in this sermon series, didn't we? being a know-it-all and thinking that we have God so figured out that at times we misrepresent him we need to be a we need to be dynamic with our hospitality and the way that we greet people because we need to build trusting relationships they need to feel like they're coming home when they come here why because they need to know that this church is full of people that they can trust to help them on their journey this complicated, confusing journey called discipleship. They need to know there are loving, warm people here that have lived through the thorns and lived through the rocks and have have lived to tell about it. Amen? We need to let our doctrinal beliefs frame our daily lives. We can't keep them separate. And so when we see things arising that we believe and realize, oh, this is what we've been talking about for for so many years or believing, it needs to become practical and real and relevant so people see us living out our faith and rising above the nastiness of this world. And they'll say, that's a person that knows what they're doing. And you go, no, I don't really know what I'm doing. I've learned some lessons along the way, but... That's the kind of mentorship that deep disciples of Jesus need to establish with people. And that means what we believe needs to transform how we live. And we need to live in the perfect balance between giving and receiving. That's where a disciple lives. It's 100% giving and 100% receiving, dying daily, serving the Lord because he lives in us. And that person is a deep disciple that can engage in mixed up culture, that can speak to the lessons of life in a confusing age, and can make a church that when people come in, in the first 10 minutes, they say, This is home. This is home. And when they draw near to us, they will realize that they are in the presence of a person, no, who doesn't have it all figured out, but has lived through some wars, and they've lived to tell about it. They've lived some battles, and the Lord is still deep within their hearts and minds. you want to be that kind of person? I do. This doesn't mean we have it all figured out, or we are wise counselors. It just means that we are learning daily and growing daily and figuring out how to live in that balance between giving and receiving and not letting the thorns or the rocks or the trials or the blessings of this life choke out the seed of the gospel and his presence in our lives. Amen? That's how we engage this culture and this world that we're living in today. Would you all stand with me as we have closing prayer? Lord, we are living in troublesome, trying, confusing times. But Lord, as we've discussed over the course of this sermon series, there are many people longing for comfort and clarity. We are too. But Lord, today we realize that we are the ones that have received. We've heard. We've, daily, we're learning how to let that gospel go deeper within us, learning that balance between giving and receiving. And Lord, because of that relationship that we have, we can bring presence and love and clarity to people who are lonely. And we remember that this is one of the biggest issues of our time. Loneliness, because we are being driven apart. The virus is driving us apart. Politics are driving us apart. Sin is driving us apart. Lord, every aspect of this world, we're becoming more isolated and alone. And so, Lord, you have been working in us to change us, to allow your love to flourish so that we can act. We can act, Lord, and be a positive, loving, warm, clarifying presence in someone's life. And we know that this process grows us too. So Lord, help us to engage this culture, this community, and people as simply people who have lived through the storms and trials and come through to tell about it knowing that you are the one that got us through. Lord, bless us to this end. Make the changes in us that need to be made. Make the changes in our church that need to be made so that when people see us in our daily lives, they see you. And when they walk in here, it's as close to heaven on earth as they'll ever get. Make us that kind of people for you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, let all of us say, Amen. Please be seated, and the ushers will usher us out from back to front. God bless you.